The following podcast has some fruity language. Sorry, my bad. So take care of who's listening around you. Kia ora tātou katoa, this is me, Anika Moa, and um, this is my podcast, It's Personal, where I get to talk to very, very, very interesting people who blow my mind. It was emotional for about 10 minutes, and we were all there snot blowing out and tears and stuff, and then mum was like, right, okay, that's it, no more sulking, like, we know what it is now, we'll get to hospital, we'll learn about it, but we don't use it as an excuse, we don't piss and moan about it. So like me, Sophie Devine has type 1 diabetes. Unlike me, she's an elite athlete. <laughs> she's captain of the White Ferns and we chat about leadership, mental health and the dreaded diabetes. I've got heaps of questions for you. Um, yeah, but yeah, we can... Yeah, talk about whatever you want as well. If you want to promote Sweet. it, promote your new album coming out. Oh my gosh, I have got no vocal ability whatsoever. <laughs> Do you reckon though? Oh, like honestly, I'm shit. Like worse than shit, actually. What about with all your, um, you know, when you have change changing room sing-alongs? Do you? Oh yeah, and I just don't sing because I'm that bad that I would bring everyone else down. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I used to play rugby for Canterbury, um, and we used to. I used to always bring my guitar in the room and, and try and cheer everyone up if we lost. We never lost a game though, so I guess I didn't. Yeah, do that. That's a good thing, but so we never lost a game. How mental is that? For how long? I only played. I played schoolgirls for four years, and then I chose music over rugby because I'm a. Um, I just wanted to smoke weed, basically, and, and, and play my guitar. Can't smoke weed when you're a professional sports player, can you? No, you can't. You can't, unfortunately. You get drug tested, eh? Yeah, quite a bit, actually, which yeah. is a bit a bit weird when you really think about it. Well, you can't do drugs if you play professional sports. You can't do drugs if you drive a forklift. Well, no, no. I meant more the actual process of someone watches your wee. That's sort of where it's a bit weird. Oh, do they actually watch your wee? Oh, God, yes. <gasps> so you they have to pull your top up and your pants around your ankles. So they see your minge? 100%. Some people get right up in there. I'm like, whoa, like, what else are you trying to see, sister? What that's... the? He... It's always a woman, eh, that watches your wee. Maybe yeah. I should get that job. <laughs> Imagine that, eh? Sophie, drop your decks. Drop your decks, Sophie. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, we're starting. I think we've already started, actually. <laughs> okay, uh, so firstly, where did you grow up and did you have quite a sporty upbringing? Yeah, so I grew up in a little suburb north of Wellington called Tower. Oh, yeah. There's not much to do there. I think Lynn of Tower's probably made it famous for women's prison at one end and the yep. mental hospital at the other end. So <laughs> I think we've got a bit more. We've got a dress mart now, the Outlet City, which I've really been there. boosted up. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty much just every sport under the sun, like most Kiwi kids. I just, yeah, would be out as soon as the sun was out, playing sport, have to go to school, come back, be playing any sort of sport I can get, and then... Yeah, I guess for me, it's been lucky enough to turn that into my job these days. 
And did you, um, do you have siblings that you played sports with and were you, from a young age, quite competitive with all your sports, hockey, cricket, was it softball, yeah. touch rugby, all of that as well? All of that. I was, yeah, a little psycho. Like, I just love getting stuck into it and, you know, from a very young age, probably a little bit too competitive um, yeah. for some kids. Just there to sort of run around and stuff. Like, I remember wouldn't have been older than seven or eight and me and one of my mates had figured out pretty early playing hockey on the grass. One of us would go in where all the kids would swarm around the ball and the other one would just wait by the goal. We'd get the ball, whack it up to the top, <laughs> score goals. We'd be scoring 10, 15 goals every weekend sort of thing, which... Were you, you know, were you the centre and was she the forward? Well, he was because oh, it was he, mixed at the Oh, yeah, pace. okay. Um, yeah, it was great. And then we'd switch around next week so we'd get turns at scoring all the goals. So... Um, yeah, always been competitive. I've got two sisters and a brother, probably more so with my brother. Yeah. It was certainly, yeah, probably I followed him around, I guess, like a little dog growing yeah. up, things like that, playing all sports, whether it was rugby, yeah. Bull rush. Tennis, bull rush. Kick him back. Do you remember kick him oh. back? No, is that force back? Oh, is it, you know, when you get a rugby ball and you and you kick it and you force them, yeah, force back. Yeah. Force back. Did, did you play oh. that? Yeah, we did, we did. God, so in Wellington, you had to get the wind behind you because otherwise you're screwed. <laughs> true, true. Um, did you? I used to play hockey, and I think hockey is probably the most aggressive sport ever. And but I come from a poor area in Christchurch, and I could never afford shin pads, so I was constantly coming home with like bruises on my shins and just. But it, I was a psycho too. It was, it was never lose, never lose. Oh. If you lose, you're a loser. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. I remember we were, we were the same. Like, if you didn't have shin beds, we used to actually get magazines and just put them down our socks. <laughs> and that really did anything. Um, nah. But, yeah, oh, it is. You can be sort of subtly psycho as well in hockey, which I think is quite know. smart. You know, you can jab people with the stick yep. and accidentally hook your stick around someone's foot and trip them up, you know. Not that I'm you suggesting would... that you do that, but... You're not that kind of player, though, right? You're not the no, no. vindictive cricket player where you, I don't know, what do you do? Tamper with the ball and do the ball? How do you ball tamper? What do you What do you um, do to ball tamper? It's more you like scratch it or bite it, or I mean, I don't know what bite a cricket ball, but you know, yeah, scratch it on the ground, whatever. There's a whole heap of sandpaper if you're Australian. That seems to be a, a big thing. So today. weird. Australians are yeah. quite renowned cheats, though, aren't they? They are, especially in cricket. They are <laughs> not in not in women's cricket, though, right? No, no, not the women's team. The women's team's great. Well, they're great, but they win everything, so everyone hates them. But apart from that, <laughs> so you grew up in Tawa. You're you're competitive. You're sporty, and then you end up in the the women's uh, cricket team. I have to look down and see what 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 it's called because there's like black ferns, silver ferns, da 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 ferns. But I'm like, oh, white ferns, white yes. ferns, white ferns. Yes. You make the team in 2006. Yeah. How, how did it feel after doing all that mahi, all that work, to then make the New Zealand team? Um, I don't think it really hit me. To be honest, I think because I guess because I was so young and I just love playing to me that it was just almost seemed like the next step for me was to try and make rep teams. And then obviously getting the phone call, I still remember it as clear as day being in it at high school, actually, 
and getting the phone call, which, I mean, you're not supposed to have your phones in class, but stuff that, um, you know, and I I remember leaving and and having the phone call with the coach at the time and, like, school was a write-off after that. I remember just running home being, like, like, shouting and hollering and stuff like that. So, yeah, oh, it's just, yeah, it's an incredible honour. Like, it's real cliche and stuff like that, but it's honestly, like, the best feeling ever Mm. to have that recognition and the opportunity to represent and that's what I still think about these days. It's like all the people that have helped me get to this point is unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? And I'd be no way near here if it wasn't for coaches, you know, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, like umpires, scorers. Like there's so many people that have impacted me and have allowed me to end up where I am now. So sort of sometimes a nice reminder to think that it hasn't just been me. It's been this whole huge tribe of people have helped help me get to where I am but do you think you know you you worked hard for it and you believed in yourself and you have that competitive streak or edge so it's it says a lot about you as a as a as a person to strive to achieve the best you can yeah I guess so I mean even from earlier like I wanted to be an all black I mean I didn't realize that there was black ferns or New Zealand women's rugby team yeah. but here I was thinking yeah I'm going to break into the All Blacks alongside Joan Lomu but um, <laughs> yeah oh, for me it was yeah I, there was no other option I was going to play sport for New Zealand I didn't care what sport it was or whatever that that was just it like I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else so mm. yeah I think it, it's always just been in my head from a very young age that this is what I want to do and yeah so I did you finish sorry did you finish school yep Yep, finished school and finished university, which wow. I don't know how sometimes, but um, yeah, was was really lucky to, to be supported. It used to be called the Prime Minister's Scholarship, um, which used to help athletes get through university. So I did that straight away because if I had to do it now, I would be hopeless. Yeah, well, it's too much work, so, isn't it? Well, listening and stuff like that, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I'm pretty hyper, like I struggle to sit still and things like that and just being outside, I always want to sort of just be going, doing things and sitting down for long periods of time is not my jam. Yeah, but does it, is it um, hard to sit down for an interview? Um, Depends how good the interview is, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, if it's engaging and stuff like that. So So if I see you squirming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I haven't had anyone bugger off yet, so you you could be a first. (laughs) Um, So you go on for how many years? For like 14 14 years, and then you become the captain of the the team, right? Yeah. What? How do you get to become the captain? What do you need? What traits and qualities do you need to become the captain of, of the White Ferns? Oh, honestly, I had no intention of being the captain. I think, I, as you see, I was playing for 14-odd years um, and was happily just the, a member of the, of the side and then a few things probably changed within our environment. Susie Bates earlier had stepped down as captain and Amy Satterthwaite went on maternity leave. And so, yeah, I guess it was a conversation between the coaches and coaches at the time in New Zealand cricket and yeah I just felt like I could offer something I guess being in the group for so long wanted to lead had always been interested in sort of the captaincy side of things with cricket so um yeah it was sort of a combination of things and I'm still here doing it now so hopefully I'm doing something right or people are just too scared to get rid of me which is great could be that do you do you think you are a good captain do you feel like you've led the team well and do you, if you have losses, do you feel like it's all on you? 
yeah, there's some really great questions in that. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think I do a good job, but I think the great thing about well, it's not just sport and cricket. It's you know, there's always something to learn. You can always get better. There's always things that you feel that you can grow and evolve and develop, which I think is really exciting for me. And I think being from New Zealand and being so fortunate to be surrounded by so many incredible female sports people, you know, I look at the Black Fern Sevens, the Black Ferns, the Silver Ferns, like there's so many incredible wahina out there that are just leading the way that I'm like, shit, yeah, I want to see what they do, how they do it, how they run their environment, their culture. Um, So for me, it's really exciting to be just involved and have that opportunity to influence this group. Um, losses suck. Like, I hate losing. I <laughs> hate it. Um, so it's always hard, and especially with captaincy, you do feel that extra sense of responsibility. And, and there's times where you do, you're sitting in your room and a million different thoughts, and you're replaying the game mm. ball by ball, which cricket can be a bloody long game sometimes. So you're sort of <laughs> having to replay it a fair bit. But um I think that's something that I've learned probably as, as captain over the last couple of years is you can't dwell on it because cricket's a pretty shitty sport like that, um, that there's going to be more crack times, low times than there is good times, but it's those good times that keep you hooked on it and wanting you to keep playing. So, yeah, it's getting that balance right in terms of you are the captain and you are the leader, but you're also making sure that you keep looking forward and, and keeping the group positive and, and moving forward. Is it nice to be a mentor for the younger players joining the team? Yeah, I think it's pretty crazy. Like we've got a couple of, what, 19, 20-year-olds. <laughs> to think back, like that used to be me. And I guess it's it's quite cool for me to be able to go like, shit, okay, well, what was I thinking at that time? Like, well, one, I never spoke because I was too shit scared to. So I just sat in the corner and if someone said, clean my shoes I'd do it you know with a toothbrush sort of thing. Um, so it's cool to sort of see how the, the environment and the groups sort of evolved and change over time but also just to see this young group of players coming through and the, the confidence they've got but also you know to hopefully share my knowledge I've been lucky to to play, play a fair bit of cricket around the world to just sort of let's say take a dump on them with all my knowledge but it's probably not the right, not the right <laughs> I like thing. it I like that analogy <laughs> but yeah to be able to share some of that stuff because at the end of the day, yeah, I, I just want women's cricket to to keep getting better and to try and bring more people to come and watch it because, you know, I've been really lucky to have a pretty incredible career in this sport. When I played rugby, there was a lot of bitchiness. There was a lot of... You know how... It's funny because women are real um, mind game players. Well, not, not not all women, but, you know, when I was playing rugby, you'd be in the ruck and someone would be like, you useless bitch. Yeah, you, you're gonna get rough. So you know, like it was real rough, and it was quite because oh. I was a tiny wee thing. I used to get um, what's that thing when you run towards someone? Oh, and well, clothesline. Yeah, I used to get clotheslined. I used to get my hair pulled. That's why I cut my hair. And is there yeah. bitchiness or or I don't know? Like, is there anything like that in cricket and women's cricket? Not, not really. It's probably changed again. Like. I'll never forget. So I must have been maybe 11 or 12 at the time and I got invited to to bowl at the Wellington Blaze at the Wellington women's cricket team. And obviously really young, absolutely shitting my pants, like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. Like these are, you know, the best players in the country. And um, I accidentally bowled a bouncer, which is where you pitch it short and it goes at someone's head. I accidentally, completely accident bowled it and this lady fucking threw down her bench and said, you little sea bomb! You fucking do that again. I'm gonna 
fuck it. And I was just like stood there. And I remember getting in the car with mum afterwards and I was like, mum, what's And she was like, oh, don't you ever say that word again. Who said that? And I was like, oh, well, the lady I was bowling against called me it. And she was like, what? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like it's just changed so much now from I think earlier in my career there was a, just a real hard streak, which I certainly think you still need. You need that rough edge and that, you know, but there's that balance too because getting called a C-bomb when you're 11 years old um, from a <laughs> woman maybe not be as inspiring, but, um, yeah. you know, in the same sense, she became one of my best mates and still, <laughs> still to this stage, you know what I mean, is the most loyal and caring person. So, um, yeah, in terms of bitchiness, probably not so much. I don't think so. Mm. Um, you get the odd person that you're always going to clash with and I'm all for it as long as it sort of stays on the field and it's nothing – personal and horrible like I'm all for a bit of banter and a bit of joking around yeah crickets yeah you need something because cricket can be boring like let's be honest six hours standing around can be pretty boring so you've got to have a bit of banter and a bit of fun sometimes okay so we've talked about cricket which is your passion and your drive you're a professional cricket player um and you've also got type 1 diabetes which is I, I, yeah, it's crazy because I, I also have type one diabetes, and I know what it takes to get even get past the first hour of the morning. You know, you have to take your shaggers, you have to take and then and then. How how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I was fifteen when I was diagnosed. I had all the classic symptoms at the time. So I lost a heap of weight. I was eating heaps. I was sleeping heaps. I was going toilet heaps. Um. yeah, all classic symptoms. And then I remember saying to my mum, I was like, I think something's wrong. Like, I'm going to the toilet. And she's like, oh, you'll be fine. It's just a bladder infection. Piss it out. You'll be you'll be fine. And we sort of left it another week Good old mums. So. Piss it out, yeah, babe. Good old, Piss it good out. Old you'll be right. Um, but then I remember going into school one day, walking into the classroom, and I couldn't see the whiteboard. Everything was sort of fuzzy. And I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's a bit weird. So I remember getting home and being like, mum, like, I can't see the whiteboard. And she's like, oh. Fine, I guess oh, I'll take you to the bloody doctors. Your mum sounds real supportive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was sort of a little bit sad afterwards. So, yeah, you know, within half an hour of the doctors, you know, doing the test and the urine test and stuff, they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure you've got diabetes. Um, Did we'll you have know? To send you yeah. Pretty much. Um, For DKA? I mean, uh, no, I was actually all right. I was actually okay considering some of the stories I've heard, but I do. I remember sitting in the car with mum and we both just bawling our eyes out just like crying crying and mum was obviously really apologetic like I'm sorry I should have listened or I should have known or yeah but no one knows like no one really knows anything about type one no so So, yeah it it was emotional for about 10 minutes and we're all there snot blowing out and tears (laughs) and stuff and then mum was like right okay that's it no more sulking like we know what it is now get to hospital we'll learn about it but we don't use it as an excuse we don't piss and moan about it let's crack on and literally from that point it was okay right let's get on with it sort of thing but being a teenager you love your lollies you love your burgers you love your carbs and as a diabetic type one you can't you actually have to carb count and you can't eat much sugar how how does that what what was that like for you that was honestly I think that was probably the first question I asked I was like can I still have ice cream can I still have lollies and they're like yeah you can but you've just obviously yeah got to make sure that you're inject the right amount and know how much sugar and carbs is in it sort of thing so that was my biggest concern 
that lollies and sugar and ice cream and then shit can I actually still play sport I thought again I had no clue what it meant so I was like well I'm never playing sport again that's me done sort of thing so Mm. I was super lucky at Wellington Hospital the team we had there with the you know the endocrinologist the diabetes nurses and educators and stuff literally stayed in for 24 hours and I was back out the next day and then a couple of weeks later I was playing in a underage hockey tournament in Omaru actually yeah and literally on the phone every morning to our diabetes nurse being like, this is my sugars, this is what I've eaten, how much do I need to inject? And he was amazing, like 24 hours a day available to make sure that I could, you know, get back to normal because I was so worried that, yeah, I couldn't eat lollies, I couldn't play sport, everything was going to be crap. But um, it is I a, think that really helped. It's a crash course. Uh, and literally you have to do a course. Um, I haven't yeah. done that course yet though because I'm too um... – Oh, I'm naughty. I'm naughty. Um, I remember uh, the year that I had all the symptoms for diabetes, and I was running, running every day, and running half marathons, and running. And, but I, I remember doing the Queenstown half, and I was so my mouth was so dry, and I kept having to stop for wheeze. And every single stop, I had to have the Coca Cola. Like I was just so I need something sugary. And what I didn't realise is that I was, my body was in DKA and, and I I don't even know how I finished that 21 Ks. Like I dragged my sick body over the, the finishing line and um, it was, I look back at that moment and think, fuck, I was stubborn. Fuck, my mind was, I had a strong mind because my body was telling me I'm done. But my yeah. mind was like, fuck you, bitch these legs are going to move and I'm going to finish this because like this is the because I'm stubborn and I want to achieve. Yeah. And then I got diabetes I got diagnosed and I gave up running because I am too scared to run in case I get a low in case I get a really? high. Yes, but I'm still learning. I'm still in the first 2 years of it. What yeah. what advice would you give to people who are recently diagnosed? Ah. Oh. Um, yeah, shit. There's, there's a fear, but I think something that really stuck out for me was that every diabetic's different. Um, how you react to different foods, what insulin's going to do to your body, how exercise is going to change your sugars, or how much insulin you take is going to be completely different to mine, and it could be different day on day. Like I am so lucky in the White Ferns, I've got Jessica, who's also a type one diabetic, so. We literally talk in like our secret language, like, oh my gosh, my blood sugar levels, I need to inject this much, and this is how much carbs, and oh, I need to change my needles and Atlantis stuff. And, like, and CGM. And- <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's so nice just to be able to talk to someone else who has it, knows what it's, you know, knows what you're going through. Um, that's, that's a big thing for me is, yeah, being able to talk about it with someone, to find someone that you can vent because it can be so fucking frustrating. Yeah. And, I think that even for me, you know, people say, oh, do you have your diabetes under control? And I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Like, I think I do. And then there's days where I don't go below 10. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, I lie in bed and not do anything and, do you know what I mean, not eat or whatever. It's There's times where I get really frustrated with that, where sometimes I'm just like, I actually don't have a fucking clue what my diabetes is doing. Like, I could do exactly the same thing, eat the same, inject the same, Exercise, everything's exactly the same, but my sugars are like through the roof. And I'm just going to go like that, and you feel like shit, and yeah, it's just. Yeah. Um, um, so for people who don't know the sugars, we should, what what what's the control range? It's between five and eight, or five and ten. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
I mean, again, that's sort of up for interpretation, <laughs> four to eight, five to eight, five to ten. Um, yeah, that's what I guess normal people, their sugars remain between. But it's just, <laughs> it's just a constant juggle, as you know. It's a constant yeah. juggle to try and maintain that. And if you are, it's like, woohoo, I'm great. And then when you're not, you're sort of like, oh, shit. I've not not I've failed, but it sucks. You're sort of like, oh, okay, I haven't quite got this right yet. You've had a few or one or two hypos on the pitch when you've been playing. Yeah. How do you, do you take yourself off the field, sugar up, wait a while, or are you just like, oh well, get on with it? Um, again, I probably learned the hard way. I was a little bit like you in terms of being stubborn, and I was like, nah, I'm not fucking coming off. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then I was like, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, I was like, I can see three cricket balls. I'm fucked here if this comes towards me sort of thing. Um, and I, I was like, oh, stuff, I'll just shove, literally shove jelly beans in a scoffed banana. And I was like, yep, yeah, no, it's fine. Got back out there and just kept going low, kept going low. I was like, okay, right. Could have I been the heat. This. Well, it could have been anything, do you know yeah. what I mean? So I, at that stage I was like, okay, shit, I actually need to step off the field now and actually take some time and let the sugars do its thing, let the calves sort of kicking and kicking and stuff like that. Whereas now I'm probably a little bit older and smarter to be like, yep, I'm a little bit low. I'll just sit off for five, ten minutes, have a banana, have some jelly beans, have a drink of water, let that kick in and then back out there. Well, it's a um, six-hour game, so you've got time. You do, you do have time. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Do you feel, like, sorry for yourself with this autoimmune disease? Like, do you, have you had days where you're like... Oh, poor me, you know, as we all do. And oh, why me? Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. We were actually saying the other day, me and Jess were like, I wish someone else could just have diabetes for the day. Like you just get sick of it and there's times where you are, you just get fed up that you just, you want to break from it. That's pretty much the best way to, yeah. to describe it. You just want to break up with diabetes and have a couple of days where you're not having to inject or you're not having to check your sugars or be days wary off. of what you're there's yeah. no there's no days off it's a 24 7 thing that yeah. you have to think it, about constantly right yeah absolutely and I mean that's where I probably try and give myself a bit of kick up the bum where I'm like actually I can still see I can still hear I still got my arms my legs I can still move around I can still be active you know there's people that are in a lot worse position than I am so be grateful but there's also times where you do yeah you just want to sit in your grumpiness and sulk and piss and moan and things like that I think that's only natural so it's about yeah, being okay with it at times. I when I feel like I'm grumpy with it, I go and eat an ice cream without insulining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, screw you, I'm like, screw you, insulin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ha ha! Didn't insulin? Oh god, I'm getting hot. <laughs> and then it's like kicks your ass a, a couple of hours later. <laughs> How do you think diabetes has affected your mental health? It's a great question. Um, I think it's almost to the point that we just said before that there's no days off and that's sometimes really hard is when you need a break or you are trying to have some some downtime or whatever you still got to manage that it doesn't go anywhere you still got to test you still got to inject like that's following you everywhere you go so um yeah I think certainly it's sometimes when I've had low patches or you know dark times that's just another thing that has you know, weighs you down as well. Because I've still got diabetes. It's still kicking my ass. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. So at times, it can certainly be a bit of a a bit of a downer. But you know, at the same time, um, it is. It's that reminder for me that 
I can still move around. I can still be active. I can still play cricket and play sport. Still got your feet. Mate, so. <laughs> well, exactly, at this, at this stage. At this I mean, stage, yep. Yeah, yeah, they might be gone in 20 years' time, but Well, that's, that's right. what it's famous for, eh? It, it stops the blood flow to your, to your limbs and then you don't have hands or feet. And That was actually one thing that really, it actually upset me a little bit when I was first diagnosed is how, um, I don't know the word for it, but like how over the top they're like, yeah, you're probably going to lose your feet and you're going to go blind and your kidney's going to crap out and you're going to have to be on dialysis. And I was like, holy shit, like, okay, like I didn't know any better. So I was like, well, there go my feet, there goes my feeling and the sensation of my hands. I'm going to be blind by the time I'm 30. So at times I think they can really – yeah, put a real negative lens on it. I know you need to be vigilant and yeah. aware, vigilant, honest, and be aware of of the complications and the risks associated with it. But there were times where it freaked the shit out of me because I was like, "Holy hell! Like, that's a lot to comprehend as a sixteen year old that you don't fucking look after yourself. You're gonna lose your legs." It's just like, "Whoa, okay." Like, rather than being, you take good care of yourself. You keep exercising. You eat well. There's no reason why you shouldn't have, you know, a long, healthy life. Rather, it was, you're probably going to die. Your kidney's going to crap out. It's just sort of I've, quite confronting. I've got four kids and it's actually um, a really good, I, I find it funny because I've got diabetes and they know everything there is to know about carb counting and sugar and how bad it is for you. And, and I always go, oh, you might, oh, you might get diabetes if you eat too much chocolate. <laughs> and they are scared. I'm like, yes, eat these broccolis. Like it's, it's actually a good parenting technique. <laughs> it's got to have some perks, doesn't it? Oh, well, that's the only perk pretty much. <laughs> Oh, people feel sorry for you sometimes too. Um, you had a moment, uh, twenty twenty one, where you uh, had to take a break from cricket. What was what 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 was the trigger for that? Um, probably goes back to being stubborn and thinking that I was okay. Um, having been on the road for so long, especially with all the COVID stuff as well. Like COVID was a crap time for everyone. Yes. Yeah. No doubt about that, but I guess the time that we spent locked up in hotel rooms, and I, you know, I don't want to downplay that other people weren't, you know, struggling, and it was a shit for everyone. But you know, um, our environment changed so much, being literally locked in your room for long periods of time. I think I did, in the end, I think I did six um, MIQs. Wow! And that was like, I don't wish anyone to do one, let alone six. So having spent so many time alone by myself in an environment where you can't leave your room was really hard for me, especially wanting to be outside so much and, you know, isolated. Um, That was probably a bit of a tipping point for me was having to go through so many of those in a pretty short period of time Um, and just being overloaded and overcooked. And for so long I was like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And just got to a point where I was like, I'm not okay. And if I don't stop now and step back, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be any use to anyone sort of thing. So really hard decision for me to step away from cricket because it's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. But it got to a point where I needed to because, yeah, I was I was nowhere and I wasn't. What were, What know. was going through your head? Were you having panic attacks? Did you feel depressed? Were you just struggling with your, with your mind? Yeah, yeah. So I've obviously... Um, 
been diagnosed with dietary depression well previously and you know had been managing it with antidepressants and stuff like that and been going all right and then obviously through COVID and stuff like that probably yeah just sort of those things came back and I guess it's funny but when you talk about depression and now people talk Mm. about the black dog or the black cloud and things like that that it's always sort of looming that that was just happening again I just felt that something was always there on my shoulder that it's just something you can't shake that you're just low mood you're depressed um I hated being around people um really anxious in big groups or with people or in situations that I wasn't prepared for so you know if I bumped into someone that I hadn't planned on or someone asked me to speak at, at, you know, at a cricket event or something, it freaked me out and certainly had have had my fair share of panic attacks and things like that. So, you know, with all that combined, I, I knew that the, the best thing for me was to remove myself from that environment and just literally say, right, I just need to focus on myself here and getting into good routines and, and things like that. So stepping away was, was bloody hard but necessary. Did you think that... Um, do you think that a way to help with your depression, panic attacks, anxiety, all those things, is to um, have a routine? Because yeah. what you're what what you need, you can't like you. No one's ever not healing, right? So you're mm. going to be eighty and you're still healing. But when because I've I've got depression at the moment. I've never I've never felt this way before because I've always just been a go go go, get diagnosed get depression, have pan- panic attacks, anxiety, all that stuff. Everything that you're mentioning is stuff that I'm going through now. So I find it really interesting because usually I wouldn't talk about it, but I need to because if I don't, those dark thoughts are really, they're quite, they, you're right, they they sit right here. When you're in public, you try to, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm digressing here, but you try to hide, you try to hide it. But you yeah. just go, you just mask. Everyone masks, masks. But I don't, I don't do that anymore. So I just tell everyone when I'm depressed, I'm depressed, yeah. I'm sad. And what? How am I getting through it? I'm getting ten hours of sleep a night. Yeah. Is that what you were doing with your routine? Were you just keeping it simple, stripping everything back? Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's amazing that you say that around talking about it because I was exactly the same. I I didn't know how to talk about it, and I didn't want people to be like, oh that's oh I I don't know how to be around you now and that was something I really struggled with is Mm. not to anyone's fault but people sometimes don't know how to behave around it if someone says oh I'm depressed people are like oh fuck okay oh there there like it'll be okay you'll be better soon and sometimes it's not and sometimes it's literally just a case of being like oh that that really sucks for you but I'm here if you ever need to talk or if you want to go for a coffee and and that's certainly something I've probably taken out of it is because before this, I was like, how can you be depressed? Like, what the fuck even is that? Like, you can't get out of bed? What's wrong with you? That, Like, to me, I couldn't comprehend yeah. depression and what that meant. And then going through it and still going through it now, it's like, it literally is. There's days where I cannot get out of bed. And I, you know, for me, that always wants to be outside doing things. Like, that's a huge warning sign that I don't want to see people. I don't want to talk. Low mood, grumpy. Um but yeah, stripping it back to routines, absolutely. It's sleeping, eating, it's getting out in nature and whether it's a walk or, you know, just getting outside and moving the body. Yoga was a big one for me um, during that time. Um, meditation, things like that. It's funny because if any of my friends go, do you need to talk about it? I'm like, yeah, I do. Come on. Like, I'm really, 
because I need to understand why, how, what's going on in the brain. How, what what are you feeling? You know, I, I struggle to get out of bed some days. I love sleeping. I'm just like addicted to it. But I've got four kids. I've got, you know, kids that need to go to school. So that actually helps with my routine. I looked at a, uh, I stalked you on Instagram the other day and I saw your bookshelf. Yeah. What kind of reader are you? <laughs> um, Bill Bryson novels. Yeah, oh, that must have been mums or something. That must have somehow sneaked in there. Um, I go through real phases. Obviously, being on the road so much, um, it's a great way to kill time when you're in airports and planes and things like that. I go through real like self-help phases, where, as you can probably tell from my uh, bookcase, it's mostly like, yeah, be a Buddha and meditate and really? breath stuff like that. But, <laughs> um, yeah, for me, reading's a really good escape when I'm in the mood and, and can go for it sort of thing is, yeah. Do you I like probably, do, do you like mind-numbing books? You know, I, I have books that I go to that just numb the mind and just easy read like the girl next door with the train on the fire you know like all those books yeah well Colleen Hoover has been this year I reckon I got through about 10 of her books Same. literally so I was just like oh whoa hmm. sort it's of just thing, an easy read such... eh yeah did, absolutely did you read Verity oh my... talk about psychos that was ah that was so mental eh <laughs> But it was so cliche that I I thought there'd be some sort of twist, but there just wasn't. It just was too cliche. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it is. Like, it's such a cool way to do something different for me as well as, you know, to have some quiet time alone without spending time on the screen. Like, I still suck at that. I spend way too much time. We all do. Yeah. Just own it. Yeah, yeah, I should, absolutely. I know I should be better, but it's, it's also... If I could, I'd, I'd go on Instagram... Over reading to my children at night. Really? <laughs> I'm just being cool. honest. Um, what else do you do to chill out? Like, what do you, you know, you're such a um, high intensity, amazing cricket performer. What do you do that chill, that mellows you out? Like, do you go on dinner dates? Do you, you do yoga? Yeah. Um, nah, like, it's funny you say, like, dinner and things. I am. When I see people go out for these fancy dinners and they get meals that are like literally a mouthful and I'm like, you paid like 80 bucks for that, screw that. I'm, you know, just going to go down the road to a pub and get a good steak and mash sort yep. of thing. But um, golf, I really like golf. It's a really cool mix for me because it's you're still outside, you're still walking and stuff, but it's really slow paced and it's you take time, you're out in nature. Well, it's just like cricket. Well, exactly. It is. It's very simple <laughs> cricket. I mean, I still throw my clubs sometimes when I – stuff up and, and whatnot. But, do you drink um, when you play golf? You can, depending who you play with, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Make it fun. Yeah, sure, yeah, and blast some music, although sometimes the old fogies don't like the music blaring. But, um, old fogies, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> old fogies. Um, yeah, it's just stuff like that, just getting out of the cricket environment or the sport environment sometimes is just what you need because you're in it so much and it can be so just all-encompassing, all you do, all you see is cricket or sport, that sometimes you literally just need to go out and do something completely different or Hmm. something different. What would you be doing if you weren't a cricket player? Um, I would love to be a sevens player. Oh, with Ruby Tui and Portia. Yeah, I'm like the biggest fangirl of the sevens team. How would that go with your diabetes? (laughs) 
Yeah, who knows? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But it would be something that I would be willing to, to try. I did play rugby a couple of years ago um, for a club team in Wellington, the Petoni Ponies, um, <laughs> and I got stuck out on the wing because I was one of the smallest players in the team, which is unusual because I'm fairly big in the cricket sort of circles. Yeah. But I was just like, catch the ball and run as fast as you fucking can and don't get caught sort of thing. <laughs> you know? But I didn't do that too well. I, I got caught quite a bit, actually. So, <laughs> so you stuck um, with cricket. So I sort of yeah, I sort of stuck at rugby and came back to cricket. So yeah, from a quite a still game to a never yes. in, never stop running game. Oh, honest, but I like I love rugby. I am so obsessed. I'm one of those people that watches and oh come on, Ruth. Oh, why did you do pass, kick, kick, run? Sort of thing. I'm one of those people that just is just obsessed with it. Why don't you swap? Why don't you be a rugby player? Train up. Because they're so good, and I think. I'm only good in my head. I'm not actually good in real life. <laughs> and I don't think that works. I can't just join a team because I think I'm good in my head. What's been your best ever game? Just the most right. elated you've felt. Like imagine, you know, the All Blacks winning the, the World Cup, like that kind of thing. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. Like early on in my New Zealand career, we went through this phase where we made keep making World Cup finals. I mean, we kept losing them. But to get to World Cup finals was just like this is so cool like you do all that work and you you get to a final sort of things I mean we shat the bed but to, to get there is pretty awesome and especially like for us the last 10 years we haven't made it past semi so um or group stage so yeah that's awesome I mean there's been a couple of games and some franchise competitions where you've gone really well and it's it's nice to do that but again it's so cliche but I'd so rather the team win than me go really well. It sort of is a bit of an empty feeling. It's a funny one, cricket. Like, say, I score 100 runs, but the team loses. You sort of, it's like, oh, well, this is shit. No, but <laughs> you're, you've you've achieved a century. Is that yeah, which is, it? that's great, but it's like, but the team's lost. So you're sort of like, oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you go to the changing sheds going, yeah, I'm the, I'm the bomb. Yeah. I'm the bomb. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah. oh, good on you, right. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a personal question. Do you believe in love at first sight? No. Oh, shit. Interview over. No. <laughs> no. Do you? Uh, I used to. Yeah. I used to. Uh, yeah. I, but yeah, I, I have a deep, I like to have a deeper understanding of a human. Mm. Uh, two weeks after I've had sex with him. No. <laughs> I'm a hoe. I'm a hoe. I like... I I don't wait. I don't wait with people. Um, I've got a partner, and yeah, yeah, I don't wait. I'm just like, let's get to the sex now. Come on, let's do it, and then I'll get to know you. Yeah, what's what's the point in waiting? That sounds great. Yeah. So you don't believe in love at first sight? Do you believe in soul nah. soulmates? Um, nah, nah, <laughs> nah. I don't. I have to think about that. I think when I was younger, I did. I think I liked the idea of it that, you know, there's a soulmate out there for you and you'll find the one. And it's like, well, I've had four ones. And <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, have you well, had four ones? Four ones. It obviously doesn't work. But I think it's nice to sort of have that illusion or that, that dream of something like that. But at the end of the day, it is. It's a connection to a person that's the most important thing. Man, that was such a good corridor. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. Thank you. Thank you as well for sharing around your story too with depression and things like that. I think it's 
Yeah. So important that we just open and honest about it. So many Kiwis out there that are battling demons that they're just too scared to share. So thank you for. I know, for and I'm this. I'm right in the middle of mine too. People don't talk about usually talk about it until after they're better, and mm. I'm like, Ugh. I mean, I like tonguey. I'm like, Ugh. and then I'm like. <laughs> I'm such a drama queen. Um, you're amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, heaps, guys. Thank you. See ya. Kakite. Thanks so much for listening to It's Personal with me, Anika Moa. Cheers. A huge mihi to Sophie Devine for taking time out of her busy training schedule to speak with us. Kia ora, sis. Also to the team that helps make this happen, Charlotte Purdy and Vanessa Hawkin from Rogue Productions, Tim Watkin and Liz Garten from RNZ, and our audio engineers Blair Stagpool and Adrian Holley. Cole Easton-Farrelly is a video editor, and thanks to Jane Joyce for graphics and Brianna Juritich for production support. It's Personal with Anika Moore is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to follow so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>